Hey everybody, I'm Sarah. I'm Chloe. Welcome to Warriors, Bards, and Brews. We have a very special episode for you. I'm very excited about this. We have the fairy game mother, Dana Pickley, is here. Hi! <laughs> Dana Pickley is the editor-in-chief of Queer Media Matters, an entertainment writer and pop culture critic. Um, and everybody knows you, I think, in the in the queer community. So I'm very pleased you gave <laughs> us the attention. <laughs> well, I don't know if everyone, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a few people. You're, you're pretty well known. Um, but yeah, congratulations on the new website. It oh, looks- thank you! so cool i check it a couple times a week at least thank you i've uh, i i kind of slowed down uh because of, uh, because of obviously like what's happening in the united states the last few weeks i've just wanted to be uh really present and and mm-hmm. so i slowed down a little bit in my content but I, i'm ramping back up uh but yeah it's just basically me and my my really great intern but she's in school she's in like grad school um oh. so uh she's she's pretty busy uh yeah but uh thank you so much i'm, I'm really having a good time with it, it there's um i love who's who's crying which one is this you said oh this is seamus this is our producer seamus 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 opat he's a very screamy um, tuxedo cat oh yeah, yeah. that's all good i i have a bunch of those um but yeah uh, uh it's so nice to have the freedom to do whatever i want now because i'm my own boss yeah. so yeah so so what was like what was the the catalyst or like the aha moment or like something was like this you know screw it it's time i'm doing my own website i'm gonna forge my own path like was there was there a moment or was it like a collective thing i've you know i've kind of always for the last few years wanted to do it you know i was um i was the managing editor over at bella uh the bella media channel which was a lot of fun and and you know a really nice experience um, but I was working for someone else and I was working for a company. So essentially mm. Bella Media is a vertical of Bella Books. And so uh, there's still, um, when you're working for like a business, like there's certain things that you can't do. And um, so my, I was starting to feel um, as much as I enjoyed my, the people I worked with and, and things like that, I was feeling kind of stifled in, in some creative mm. ways. Um, and, I actually had taken a uh, a job and I knew I couldn't do both. And so um, my plan was to eventually roll out this this website like a few months down the line. But then when the world just kind of exploded, uh, yeah. as my wife says, uh, I was like, <laughs> well, that job's gone. Um <laughs> <laughs> your hand forced. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, I think it's, yeah, it's hilarious that I left a job that paid me to write so I could write for free. Um, but That's how my, it should work, right? <laughs> my goal is to um, actually get some, some revenue for the site to have some sponsored posts to do that sort of thing. I don't want it to be like ad central USA, but, um, yeah. you know, I, I, I hope that people see value in it and want to mm. collaborate with me. So then I have some, some income that I can pay writers and, and stuff like that. So right now I'm just paying my, you know, if I have anything, it's, it's coming straight out of my pocket. So. Yeah, I was going to ask if you were planning on sort of slowly, you know, adding members to your team. Oh, I want to. I trust me, I do. Um, <laughs> so many. And I've had so many really, really amazing people reach out to me and be like, I want to write for Queer Media Matters. But I don't feel right asking people to write for free. Um and, you know, some people have said, like, oh, I don't care. Like, I just, you know, I want the experience or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm happy mm-hmm. to mentor people. But I really, like... 
the last few weeks have been really uh, clara- clarity moments for me. And I really, I think it's important that, that writers get an opportunity to write and to make money for, for their art. So um, I'm probably going to try to hold off on bringing anyone on until I can pay them a fair fee for, for an article. Sure. That makes that's, sense. That's awesome. And that's very admirable, actually. <laughs> um, so there's, you know, a couple of different queer sites out there. Not a, not a ton, but a couple. But um, how do you see QMM, you know, standing apart from those other websites? Look at you using our little abbreviation, QMM. <laughs> uh, I think that being in queer women's media for a long time, uh, certainly gives me a perspective of, of that that's that's pretty strong. But I really wanted to not feel that I was totally pigeonholed into that. Like I wanted to be able to write about mm-hmm. more trans issues, more um, like companies that maybe are run by gay men or, you know, like I, so I've been able to to do articles so far that I have not been able to do in my previous positions. Um, yeah. And that feels really freeing. And it also gives me an opportunity to um, to boost more people and to boost more voices. And um, that's really like all like my philosophy has always been is I'm not, I'm not in this to like meet celebs or like to become <laughs> famous or anything. Like I sure. only, all I really want to do is give a platform for my community. And the more community I can give a platform to, the better. So I really like the freedom of being able to do that at Queer Media Matters. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, like, that's something that is, is really cool and something that's being talked about so much now is, like, elevating voices and elevating people and giving, you know, marginalized folks a chance to, to be heard and be seen across everything because, you know, a lot of every, a lot of the world is very white dominated and very, like, white dude dominated. And very cis dominated. Very cis dude yeah. dominated. <laughs> And we've become we've become so segmented, right? So it's like the gay guys are over here, the queer girls are over here. Then in between the queer girls, we got the lesbians who are fighting with this group, and this group is like, I, I just like I just so many segments. And then like, yeah. where where do the bi folks live, and where do the pan people go, and where do the ace folks feel like they have a yeah. place to belong? And I wanted to, I, I was like, why can't I just be like a place where everybody can come? Like mm-hmm. I want gay men to be able to come to my site and find things that appeal to them. I want, mm-hmm. you know, trans people to feel represented on my site and not just like, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I just wanted everyone to feel yeah. like it was a place that they could belong. That's yeah. awesome. And I mean, this kind of, uh, you're saying that you've, you've been in the industry for a while um, and saying that you want to be a good presence. Uh, you, like you are to us, you're very well known and you've, and I've, Watch a lot of your, like, a lot of your Clexicon panels and Carmilla stuff. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, I miss, I miss my panels so much. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we know like you're pretty you're pretty known in, in fandoms and then online. Um, one thing I I know pops up every now and then because the turfs are out and they're no fresh. <laughs> Um, how do you how do you deal with like the trolls and the messages uh, from people from the site that rhymes with raft or melon? Um, you know, I actually don't deal with them too often. Uh, I oh, refuse. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, I can finally say after Ellen without my heart, just feeling like it's being squeezed to, you know, into a pulse. I'm happy to hear that. (laughs) Because for a while there, it was really hard. It was like, I don't know how to describe it. It was kind of like watching the woman you love, um, 
like set your house on fire. Like like you broke up, you broke up, and then she just like just like threw a, a Molotov cocktail into your house and just like blew everything up. It's um, very vivid. Very vivid and very descriptive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's interesting. I don't know how much you know about what happened, but. We had, um, when I was working with, with Trish Bendix and I were the editors, uh, we got ourselves into an issue with um, a well-known uh, trans-exclusionary person who uh, sued the site. Um, and I think that that's... I think th- of that. Yeah, yeah. And th- 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 that happened. So uh, uh, actually, you know what? I don't even... I, I take that back. I don't know if she sued the site so much as threatened to sue the site or there was some legal there was a legal situation mm-hmm. happening um and uh that was my first real experience with that community and uh, yeah i ran the twitter uh for after ellen at the time so i did see plenty of that <laughs> it wasn't personally directed at me but like it was pretty brutal yeah. um and uh, yeah watching it get handed over to this extremist situation was extremely heartbreaking for me because it was so important for me as an editor to make sure that all queer women felt represented and to see a specific uh faction like take over and say like no Mm. these are the only queer women we want represented and we don't want to represent queer women at all we only want to represent lesbians uh that was extremely frustrating and um there's a whole lot of shit that what happened like behind the scenes that I won't go oh, all into. Uh, maybe <laughs> maybe over bruise one day. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's vile. It's horrific to me. Um, yeah. The things I've seen, especially in the UK, that um, my oh, trans sisters are are having to deal with uh, is infuriating. Um, so I just don't I don't like entertain it at all like it's Mm. it's like a non-conversation to me because trans women or women trans lesbians or lesbians like that is it for me like i'm not going to debate you on it like yeah because it isn't even a debate (laughs) exactly i it's not worth my time which i could be using to amplify trans women's voices yeah yeah and i think 99 percent of the time there's literally no point in trying to have these debates with no you know no it's it's because it's not going to change their mind at all um so i'll just i actually had a follow-up question to the the rafter melon situation the rafter Um, melon (laughs) (laughs) uh i don't want to say the name in case like one of the manifests in my house is like beetlejuice oh it's it's like candy man you don't want to say it in the mirror um so yeah like i said you you, you're known to us you've worked with plexicon and carmelicon um do you do you think it would be difficult to kind of break into like straight media i mean like you're the kind of the go-to for no interest in becoming part of straight media. I was going to say, that would be my follow-up question. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I am very, very happy to be a voice for queer media. Like that's, I don't have any aspirations. To me, it's not like a, a stepping stone. It's just, it's what I care about. Um, it would be nice to be able to break into um, larger uh, platforms. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being able to do San Diego Comic-Con. Being that was able, my next question. You know, <laughs> that sort of stuff. To be recognized as a, a thought leader in my field, mm-hmm. but the fact that uh, that I'm not at an outlet like TV Guide or, you know, entertainment, to, you know, weekly or whatever, doesn't mean that I can't 
and I yeah. don't have the skills, you know, like I'm just, it, that's a little difficult to break into. Yeah. yeah, and I think that was almost more what we were getting at. Would you want to go media, or would you want to do you want to get into things like SDCC, Emerald City? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and it's 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 kind of it's kind of one of those like who you know sort of situations, mm-hmm. and yeah, and so being part of part of queer media can make you a little bit on the outskirts of things. Um, I've never had the the pull or. Um, you know, breadth of contacts that I did when I was at After Ellen. Like it's, it's never been able to be the same. Mm-hmm. Um, Queer Media Matters has it's been great because people have, um, you know, I've had like Peter Page from, um, from uh, Freeform, who's been really, really great and has helped me, you know, get into some places like that. Um, so people are actually like contacting me about queer media matters. And so that's, that's cool. yeah. So that's nice. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard when you used to be, I used to be on red carpets, like multiple times, um, like a season um, interviewing everybody coming down the red carpet. And they all wanted to talk to you when mm-hmm. you're a mm-hmm. after Schmelin because you know, that was the <laughs> old, that was like one of the only games in town. And unfortunately yeah. nothing has been able to replace the 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 gravitas that after Schmelin had um autostraddle in their in their in their respect yes but like because that site was so deeply focused on pop culture um and not lifestyle and pop culture like like autostraddle is uh it was um it's been a definitely left a left a hole Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it has, and I remember like I when I was you know a baby gay, my homepage on like Netscape was after Ellen. I'm pretty I was sure mine was as well. <laughs> I, I, I was in university. I wake up, you know, like check the lesbian news, check my email, and mm-hmm. go to class. Yeah, I, I remember <laughs> refreshing it constantly. I was back like right around when I came out, and I was just like soaking up all of the different little bits of like lesbian content i could possibly get my hands on so yeah, yeah. imagine my surprise when they asked me to to write for them <laughs> yeah <laughs> i remember I, I wrote a paper about uh stupid tropes in, in queer media and i and i cited something from after ellen actually made one of your articles and my teacher was a professor was just like oh i don't know if this is a legitimate source and i was like it's a lesbian writing about lesbian media it's a legitimate source <laughs> 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 yeah yeah um <laughs> So I think we're going to shift and talk a little bit more specifically about like queer media and pop culture now. Um, oh, cute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've obviously come a long way since something like Buffy's Seeing Red, which was a deeply upsetting episode for a lot of reasons. Well, um, I, I, hold on before you move on. I, I want you to know I, I often co-host my friend Ian Carlos Crawford's Slayer Fest 98. He yeah. has a great podcast i'm on the seeing red episode and it just came out uh his episode about that so like if you want to hear me talk about in depth about seeing red (laughs) by all means tune into that sorry awesome that's that's great i will listen to that for sure (laughs) (laughs) but yeah we've come a long way from that to having things like she-ra on the air which Mm -hmm. is just like the queerest fucking thing that like has ever existed basically um (laughs) you know but things like the whole klexa debacle still happen why do you think that is like why do you think like writers still think that kind of trope is like a good thing to put out there i don't even think they think it's a good thing to put out there i think they just think it's this that every single one of them uh you know fucking uh 
created the wheel. Like, oh, this is groundbreaking what we're doing. Look at how smart we are with this. It comes, so there are many factions, okay? Mm-hmm. And if you haven't gotten a chance to see Queering the Script, uh, which is a really amazing documentary by okay. uh, Gabrielle mm-hmm. Zilka, um, I'm in it. And I talk a lot about all these sorts of things. But um, there's there's a level of – you would be fucking shocked to know how many people have zero consultants in the uh, LGBT consultants have zero compunction or concern about what they're doing. It's gotten better in the last few years, certainly after Alexa, uh, after the, the Lexa situation, um, people have to be held accountable uh, because social media will not allow them not to be held accountable. Oh God. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> well, and it's, it's, it's like, so we've had to become, I feel like I'm being so honest on this web, on this uh, <laughs> podcast episode, but we have had to become the watchdogs. Yep. So we as fans have become the watchdogs for media. Then you have organizations like GLAD, which, you know, GLAD has done a lot of good work. And GLAD claims to be, the, you know, the, the watchdog. But I think in so many ways, because we don't have to have that um, polite political uh, relationship with networks, that fans have been able to hold networks and shows far more accountable than any organization has in the last few years. Oh yeah, um, and we're all very intense about our queer media too. So yeah, we have yeah, no joke. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and so when your feet are held to the fire and you are forced to look at your decisions, um, you either a stop including queer characters and trans characters, which some places did. Like I saw like a a definite like drop off in queer characters shortly after the Lexa situation, because I think a lot of people were afraid to do anything wrong, right? Yeah. Or... Well, the Twitter owner was, like, literally ran off of Twitter because of the fans <laughs> calling for his head. And, yes, and the cat clearly agrees with me. Um, but yeah, like, it, Jason it is... Rothenberg! <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like maybe we should just, like, say what happened with the Lexa situation briefly, just I in case... I think people probably know. I don't know. There might be someone, but basically... <laughs> You want to tell the cat what it is? Basically, Lexa consummated her relationship with her girlfriend and then was promptly murdered. So, yeah, right, <laughs> that, which is the part of the, which is the barrier gay trope, which is when yeah. a um, a queer character is murdered for the uh, the movement or progression of another character's storyline, and it's it it has very deep roots. Um, if if you haven't watched the celluloid closet watch the celluloid closet and it really explains how barrier gays became something during the haze code days of hollywood where you could have a a a, a gay lesbian trans character but they had to pay and so and so that that trope found its way in insidious twisted uh, ways to work its way through modern even pop culture and media and so up until like 2016 they were still just knocking lesbians and queer <laughs> women off like like it All was nothing I mean, and yeah. insane I think it was like we watched something like nearly 30 lesbian and bisexual women characters killed in one single season of television yeah. I, I remember, I remember those stats I remember those stats and I was like how how is this and this is a thing too like people would say like oh here's a really good show you should watch it oh there's a gay on it I'm like okay well is there more than one no like did they stay alive for the whole season 
Well, no. Like, well, why am I, I going to watch that then? Look at you attached to like the one gay and then lose the one gay. Yeah. No, I will avoid that yeah. as much as possible. <laughs> yes. And so that kind of goes back to what, what I was saying. So there was the A that we just talked about. And then there's B. There's people who actually like took this as a learning experience. Hmm. and was like, let me put queer people and trans people and non-binary people um, in my writer's rooms. Let me talk to actual like queer audiences and let me do this right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have the two extremes. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that some people aren't still doing shitty things, but it's 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 more of an anomaly than it is the uh, like the norm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I think that's something we're gonna have to. It's like it, you can't change history in a week, a month, a year. It's gonna take time. And I think with something like you know coming from Buffy fandoms into Carmilla into, you know, She-Ra clearly with my catcher shirt. Like I can see the progression and see how like, yeah, this was good back then, but this is where it is now, but we can still be better. Like I love She-Ra, but like I'm non-binary and seeing Double Trouble was cool, but also like, oh, the really self-serving kind of villain is the only representation I have on the show. Okay, an attempt was made. <laughs> Especially when there's so little non-binary representation in general. Yeah. It's sort of like when that's there's like one of the of only ones that's, it's a little, ooh, a little, little yeah. cringy. But, but it's better. It's like I said, it's better than nothing. But like yeah. it could have been like maybe just don't make them so slimy. Yeah, <laughs> See, I think Double Trouble is the coolest though. Like I mean, they might be a little slimy, but like yeah. they ultimately are. Uh, they're an anti-hero, let's, let's say. Yeah, I guess it's that's true. true. Yeah. It's true. It's true. The evolution was cool. Initially, I was just like, mm, but the evolution was was kind of fun, and it was. And honestly, like Nicole should just be or Nicole should be running all the all the shows ever because like. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah, I think I think certainly non-binary characters are going to be the next, um, the next real kind of push in media. I'm starting to see it more and more, especially because we have more non-binary actors out there that are that are out and like yeah. advocating for these sorts of things. So I, 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 that's like if I had a crystal ball, which. <laughs> It's it's kind of you don't even need a crystal ball when you work in media because you kind of see the trends and you know yeah. uh, that's what I think is going to be um, something that we can look forward to is a more interesting fleshed out non-binary characters um, and also we are finally getting to a point where people have realized you don't have to just give queer characters like w- one of three stories you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> death. <laughs> Pregnancy, <laughs> villain, death, yeah. pregnancy, and villain. Um, oh, you did all three at once. Oh yeah. Oh my god, I'm so. I if I see one more, like you can swear on the podcast. If I, can, I know I've already sworn. If I see one more <laughs> fucking pregnant lesbian storyline, I, I, Thank you. I will lose. I will lose it. I know. Like I know tons of lesbians and queer women who have kids, and that's so great. But like. There are other things we do, like <laughs> just because you have a womb does not mean you have to procreate, and that's not like the driving force of your life. <laughs> but you know, it's interesting because queer people do it too, though. Um, yeah. So, like, if I'm on Tumblr, all I see is like the imaginary child of Catra and Adora, and like the how you know, or or the super the super core child, like them yeah. raising their twins together, <laughs> and so I'm like it's. I get it because it's this heteronormative thing that we grew up with. Like, this is what happens, right? You fall in love, you get married, you have babies. And then 
we want to see that not just like you know between men and women we want to see that like in all forms so i understand that like desire but it's so boring like as, as, a, as like a person who covers this stuff like please give me something different i mean and us as viewers like we're purposely child free yeah. so i just don't I give just a don't shit care. about these storylines i'm like cannot relate i mean yeah. even a little bit like i am not bashing kids kids are great neither am um, i but right yeah, yeah. it's just like give us give us interesting jobs and um complicated storylines and uh, you know uh, and finally it's starting to happen it, it's yeah. starting to happen i think this is why I, I personally like really went off on the supergirl writers on twitter because they whole like alex danvers has to have a baby i was like no she fucking doesn't oh yeah i was not <laughs> i was not thrilled about that development i, like, I was like, I was like do you really agent? think do you really think this is always the next step? Lesbian comes out, gotta give him a kid, gotta put, yeah. gotta put a baby there. U Haul is down with the baby. <laughs> yeah, U Hauls are U Hauls are tired. Babies are wired. She was hardly out for like a month before yeah. they were like oh, baby yeah. time. <laughs> it's like, all right, if we have the gays, the gays are in. The gays committed. Oh. Now it's time for the baby. Go. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, that show has its its uh, issues. Um, oh, I yeah. adore I adore Kyler Lee. Like one of the loveliest per people I've ever worked with. She. You know, I, I, I interview tons of people, right? And so most people are, like, very cordial and, like, very polite and, and, and stuff. But, um, you know, I've had some negative experiences with people backstage and stuff. But, like, Kyler, like, walked up to me, like, had a conversation with me, like, asked me about myself. Afterwards, like, gave me a hug. When she saw yeah. me, when she saw me again, like, came up to me, embraced me, like, was just, like, kind and amazing, and I want the best for her, and I don't think she has been given the best with that role. No. No. We actually, they filmed Supergirl in Vancouver, and we were downtown having brunch one day, and I saw on Twitter, oh, hey, Supergirl set up, like, literally two blocks away. I was like, we're going, we're going, we're going. So we stalk around the set, and, like, <laughs> at the same time, we see Kyler, and I just freeze, and I'm like, <laughs> and Chloe's like, do you want to go say hi? And I was like, <laughs> So we did. We went over. It was uh, they were filming the first episode of season three, I think. Yeah, I think so. Uh, the big unveiling of the Supergirl statue, which is hilarious because like they had to like green screen all the cruise ships out and like all the temporary <laughs> inlet. But they took a break, and it was their lunch break. And Kyla was like, "Oh, I have an hour for lunch. Bring the fans over." Oh, like she was just like just so nice. She's just like good person, like a little yeah. ball of sunshine. And she dragged Flo over, and Flo was just like the two of them. Like we have a little bit of vibrant hair. At the time, mine was a rainbow. And they were both like, oh, my God, you guys have amazing hair. And, like, 15 little baby gays turn around like they're being addressed. <laughs> and we were just blushing furiously. <laughs> we <were> just like, <laughs> well, I'm glad we were, you had a really positive experience with that. Yeah, and, that, yeah. and that's kind of the, you know, I, that's kind of, like, the standard I've heard with Kyler. Like, she's very humble and very appreciative mm -hmm. yes. um, and, you know, understands the, the weight of carrying the role of someone like Alex. Yeah, yeah who you said has not been given the best storylines. No. But yeah, I'm I'm curious to see where they pick it up because Melissa's pregnant now. So, yes, what are you gonna do with yes. super super baby? <laughs> let's let's give Alex all the goods. Let's yeah. let's let's have her have her great romance and have her action and all that good stuff. Yeah, I saw someone say that she should be Batwoman since Ruby Rose is leaving Batwoman. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna wade into the Batwoman waters right now. <laughs> <laughs> Occasionally, I, I walk past the set when it's here, and I was like, oh, I'm Batwoman, cool. I was downtown, I was like, what is this new game? Oh, Batwoman, Batwoman is filming here. Okay, that's what that is. 
Um, so I think this is like, probably a no-brainer question because we've just been discussing it, but like representation is so fucking important. Like it's so yes. important. And do you think that it, it'll come to a point where it's not even going to be a conversation we have to have anymore? Like it's just understood that you have to have good representation in your media for it to be accepted. I, I, I would like to think so. I'll be out of a job, but uh, I, would, <laughs> uh, I would like to think so. Um, I, I think that in order for that to happen, we really need to have diverse writing, writers' rooms. Mm-hmm. And I don't see enough of that happening yet. So until that really happens, I think we're still going to be having to hold shows accountable. Yeah. yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think that, um, I mean, I, I'm always here for more positive re- representation because, I mean, we got done dirty as kids. Then <laughs> we had like Ellen who got fired <laughs> and then we had Buffy. Zena was like the, the, the gayest thing I ever watched as a kid. And oh, I mean, yeah. now we have a podcast about it. So, yeah, well, that's why we've been talking about Zena nonstop for like three, four years. <laughs> there's lots of material there. But I, I do want to address something that as a, as a person who is like a, an observer, of fandom and media, just because you don't have things go exactly your way doesn't mean it's poor representation. Yes. No. It doesn't mean totally you're true. being queer baited because the story didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. Um, Thank you for saying that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, 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 I get the urge to jump to that, but um, unless a character is being purposely mistreated, um, doesn't mean that it's you know, I think I think I find that we muddle our message if we equate everything that we don't like to being mistreated and to being queer baited. That's not the case. Yeah. And I feel like that. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, like I feel an instance of being queer baited would be super core. I feel yes. that, I feel that is um, that straddles the line of uncomfortably being queer baited, right? Rizzoli and Isles was queer baiting. Those oh, yeah. when you are teasing an audience with no intention of giving them what they want, that is queer baiting. Um, if a character starts dating some a character that you don't like, that's not queer baiting. If <laughs> if if a character makes decisions um, or leaves a show, that's not yeah. queer baiting. Like those things happen. Um, so I, I'd like I, I I would love us to just be a little bit more clear in our attention because we need to keep we need to keep our thoughts clear straight <laughs> when we're when we're when we're addressing these issues and if we just equate everything to like oh, this is poor representation we're we're not we're not they're not going to hear us. Because it's all becoming noise, right? Yeah. Be very specific. Um, yeah, yeah. Two of the dumbest things I've heard about queer bait were Shira was queer baiting. <laughs> I was like, I'm very sorry. I'm literally wearing the shirt. No, that says, it's I'm gay. called slow burn. Yeah, like it's called slow burn. It's <laughs> a different, very different thing. And someone said Zena was queer baiting, and I have never seen you get that mad at the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Zena, seen, the people who created Xena didn't know enough to to queer bait. Like that wasn't, oh. if anything, they were trying to do fan service. Yes, in, in the way they possibly could. Yes, absolutely. And they went pretty far with it, and it was pretty impressive. But yeah, I see a lot of you know, like the younger Tumblr people 
screaming about how Xena is queer baiting. And it's like, no, because they did have that like beautiful relationship. That was like the core of the show. They were clearly together. If you looked, you didn't even have to look deep into no. it at all. <laughs> Let me tell you. Zena was like 30 years ago, like almost, right? Yeah, yes, yeah. That, 20, 25, 25. 25 years ago. Yeah. 25 years ago, like 95% of like queer characters were just getting like murdered, like left and yes. right, like <laughs> if we had any. So I, 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 I agree. I don't think that, I think there has to be intent to queer bait. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that was the intention in Xena. And I think that they did what they could when they saw the audience response with still being able to uh, stay within the, the codes of that, that, that time. Yeah. That's, and that's something we've been arguing basically since we started the podcast. Like it's just, it is not queer bait because a, they didn't have the knowledge of that and they were just like, let's make a strong female character show. Uh, And then yeah, like once they found the lesbians are into it and then like lesbian bars were hosting Xena night, like our friend ran a lesbian bar and she would put, put it on. Yeah. That's, the warriors on let's go watch that yeah um so they then that's when they were like oh we have an audience yeah we'll cater to this as as best we can and kind of give them what they want so i'm um, like it's not queer baiting like you said it's fan service and it's fan service done very well yes i would agree <laughs> and it's actually good writing and like we, like we watch the episodes back and some of them are a little dicey in terms of cultural appropriation yes yes <laughs> the whole india the arc. whole india arc i'm like Yay. oh god oh we need to apologize <laughs> in advance for those episodes when we get to them but like when you get down to the core of the show, it's it's a really nice love story. It's a yeah. really nice friendship and a love story between two women. And I remember like just being in high school, and my one of my friends like I love it. I just watch for Aries. He's so hot, and I'm like, Mother Daddy Aries, cool. Yeah, he's. Yeah. <laughs> he was totally meant for you. Yeah, I'm like I am heterosexual, <laughs> also likes Aries. <laughs> I'm like, was he even in the episode on Saturday? I don't know. <laughs> Oh gosh! Yeah. <laughs> uh, you want to go to the next the next question? Yeah. Um. So you know, you're seeing a little bit more of like a turn towards queer shows being accessible to like a wider audience. But what are your thoughts on some of the shows that perhaps take things a little bit further in terms of representation, like Pose or Vita being on channels that may not be as accessible for younger queer people or mm. queer people with budgets who can't pay for premium channels that's a super good question i access is so important um it's a lesson i learned kind of the hard way when i was attempting to advocate for filmmakers because i know how hard it is to get film uh, filming done and, and money for film and so i also learned that to not have access is this sorry if you can hear my dog squeaking a toy in the background (laughs) 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 okay bye honey um (laughs) access is a real issue for a lot of people and i have to put myself in in other people's shoes and think to myself where if i grew up somewhere where i could not see myself ever and i mean i did grow up in a place where i had very few and far representations until i was you know um, like older um so i try to put myself like six what would 16 year old dana feel if they they couldn't see any of this and so i think that we have a real access issue in this country um and i think that it's unfortunate that shows like Vita especially had such a tiny, tiny audience because of where they were. 
I mean, I'm glad stars took the chance and they did this and they created this amazing show. And maybe that's because they were stars, maybe because they they can do what they want because they they feel comfortable taking those chances, right? But because it is a, a paid network and not something that has a ton of queer content on it, um, a lot of people didn't get to see this really amazing show. And that's, that's really disappointing. Um, yeah. If I, if I could make it all accessible for everyone, I would. But those are things that all I can do and push for is more access. Um, there's a lot of factors that go into it that are so beyond just like fandom stuff. It's, it's, yeah. It really boils down to money. And, you know, a show like Pose is going to have a lot of money behind it. So thankfully, it's on a show that is like not a pay for network necessarily. It's on cable, but it's not a pay for network. Um, So a lot more people are able to see that. But yeah, it's 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 complicated and it's frustrating and I wish everyone could see everything. But (laughs) but that's but, you know, I mean, that's that's an issue for everyone not just yeah. queer people. I think there's like a lot of straight people that wish they could be watching a lot of shows that, that they just can't afford to watch too. It's just, uh, that's unfortunately the nature of our uh, media beast right now. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, we should, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say with something like Vita, especially, you know, I just, my mind was blown when I watched it, just the different, like th- just the different facets and like intersecting levels of representation that don't really get, out there that much and I've just spent so much time screaming to everyone who will listen <laughs> about it and I just wish everybody could see it or you know yeah we we downloaded it the first the first two seasons I think the first season or first two and we I blew through them in like two days yeah they're super I easy to watch my co-workers like you got to watch this and then I actually got I purchased stars as part of my Amazon Prime channel <laughs> so I could watch season three as it aired yeah and I shared my login with my co-worker I was like you have to watch this because like I need to talk about this with somebody who's not just Chloe mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, you know, my only my only beef with Vita is, and it's not really Vita's fault. I think that they probably learned partway through what they were doing, the writing process, that they weren't going to get another season, and they just kind of had to shove everything into those last couple episodes because it was like so rushed at the end, and I was so frustrated with like some of the the turns that that it took. Um, but uh, but overall, like it was, it's definitely been one of my favorite shows of the last few years. Yeah, I, I kind of like I've, I've we watched the new L word. It was fine. Um, <laughs> excuse me, but I'm like I wish that Vita had like an ounce of the of the money and the clout and the publicity that the L word had because like I'm on Twitter screeching about how good Vita is and like the the showrunner herself is like responding to my questions and I'm like who who does this? Do you do you spend any time looking at ratings? Uh, I haven't for a while. I used to be actually. This kind of leads into my next question. I was in grad school and my my uh, topic was going to be like. Mo- at the time, mobile media, I'm, I'm old. So like video iPods and stuff, like how that impacts fandom. So I would look at ratings and I was gonna, I would had, actually had a, a stack of Nielsen ones that were like, here's, you know, the rise and then here's, you know, the fall over the, over time. And part of it probably was because of mobile media and now probably because of streaming services. Right. Well, for, for example, um, some of our favorite shows have extremely small, like bad ratings i don't want to say bad like they're bad bad but like in comparison to other shows they have challenging ratings 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. um, so, like, a show like Winona Earp has challenging ratings. Um, Vagrant Queen, even more challenging ratings. And even more than that is where Vita lands. Yeah. So you're looking at less than uh, less than 200,000 people watching every episode. That's so... Oh I think I, if, uh, you know, if someone is listening to this and I am incorrect on that, it might be one episode, but like I remembered looking at Vita ratings and it was like 0.02 or something like that. And that you cannot sustain a no. show with that. And the only reason that shows that have lower than like 0.5 are able to stay around is because of fierce fan um, in, uh, interaction and, um, mm-hmm. you know, demand basically. Yeah. Isn't that why I, I don't watch Winona Earp, but isn't that kind of how they got the, the last season or the next season? Because the fans just kept screaming at people like, give us the next season or else. Right. Yeah. They've been, uh, <laughs> the Earpers have been very in- integral in the success of that show. Yeah. Yeah, and so this actually kind of ties into the question. So, like, technology has clearly, and the internet has clearly impacted fandoms. Um, do you, th- in good ways and bad ways, obviously, um, do you think that having like an almost constant connection to showrunners, networks, actors, actresses is sometimes not ideal, and is sometimes a little bit almost like there's too much, like the, the wall is not there? Uh, uh, I mean. Yes and no. I think sometimes we get a little too buddy-buddy with showrunners um, and that can be complicated, especially when they don't deliver what you think they're going to deliver or what you want them to deliver. And that can make the lines super blurry. Um, But let's take a little step back. And so what was the first real show that was majorly impacted by queer media? Do you have, do you know what it is? Uh, Sorry, impacted by queer social media. Do you know what show that was? Uh, Queer social media. I'm going to say Lost Girl, but I think uh, probably something before that. Glee. Oh! Oh, I didn't even see it. I didn't watch much of it. (laughs) Glee, the reason that Santana and Brittany existed as a couple was because of fan communication with Ryan Murphy and the staff of Glee. Oh, wow. Yes. They were relentless, yes. (laughs) Okay, you knew this. This is cool. And it was so much so that there was was even a Schmather Schmelin like drop uh, uh, (laughs) mention in uh, like season two or three because I was part of an article that a few of us wrote about representation in Glee and it made it to the desk of all these, the Glee writers. And yeah, and it was important. And so that's something I'll always be really proud of is, I mean, they certainly didn't talk about it really publicly, but you know, through the grapevine, we heard that like they read it and they were like, okay, let's, let's start looking into this. Let's talk. Let's, let's, let's communicate with our fans. And so naturally that devolved pretty quickly because, (laughs) uh, you know, Ryan Murphy is, Fans would get mad at Ryan, Ryan would get mad at fans, and it would be kind of this like back and forth. And I think that queer fans and Ryan Murphy like really went head to head in latter seasons. And I think that that could have been not so great. (laughs) Um, But I think that without that fan communication and without the connection that, that 
we never really had before with showrunners and creators, we were able to say like, this is important to us. Can we, can we move forward with this? Like, let's, let's do this. So um, I think it's, I think it's really important that, that showrunners stay in touch with their audience because that's who you're, that's, that's who you're, you're writing this for. Like you're not just writing it for yourself. Like you're, you're doing it for an audience, but that doesn't mean that showrunners are always going to make the decisions that, that thrill an audience. And so that gets complicated when you, especially when you, you consider them part of your, like, inner you know, your, your circle, um, because ultimately they, like, they are your consumer, and they are making a product. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have seen firsthand uh, in some fandoms how like showrunner, writer, creatives interaction with fandom, like it's blurred the line and it's gone from we are here as observers of the culture to being engaged with it and like sending messages on Tumblr and like getting involved with stuff and getting involved with fan drama. And I'm like, I get that you want to be close to your creation, but at a certain point, like you have to take a step back and realize that this is a thing you're putting in this is your job you're you're pay, you're being paid to do this and we're consuming this you should probably just take a step back for a couple of days and just you know go take go for a walk right i mean and there's some people that do it really really well and then there are people who like on the hundred i'll never forgive how those showrunners and those that staff manipulated i'm gonna i'm gonna say it like manipulated viewers um by like actually speaking with them in social media ways and like having conversations and like encouraging them to stay along knowing full well what was going to happen. And that's something that actually gets addressed in, um, in querying the script. Um, we really have to watch that. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, I mean like they, they were, they were constantly, I mean, you saw like back in the day, like Jason Rothenberg was constantly talking about like how much he loved Klexa and like stay yeah. tuned for this exciting, like, like that is how, that's how, like interaction fails that's that's yeah. like a, a, a that was a major fail of fan <laughs> fan interaction like way to build up you know people's hope and excitement oh. and then just rush it into the <laughs> yeah. ground that, you know? and honestly i think that that is why fans like rebelled so hard against what happened with lexa is because they felt used yeah mm-hmm. and manipulated and betrayed. yeah and betrayed yeah. I know, I know I did, and I wasn't even that involved with sort of the online saga. Yeah. But I was a viewer and, you know, interacted with it online a bit. And I, I just remember being so... I was actually, despite knowing about the Bury Your Gaze trope and everything, I was quite stunned when that happened. We were actually... I remember the, I remember the day it happened. I was like, we were out for dinner, um, and I got a text from a friend of mine from Tumblr, and they were like, did you, you don't watch The 100, right? And I was like, yeah, Chloe kind of does. Why? And they were like got some bad news. And I was like, oh my, he did the fucking trope, didn't he? He fucking did it. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, dude, maybe you don't want to watch this episode. So we were on the bus going back to our, our apartment. And I'm sh- screaming about the trope. And someone, uh, another friend from fandom was just like, well, you know, it's part of the storyline and like, it's not, it's not bad. And I'm like, you're a lesbian telling me that killing the lesbian is good. Like, I, well, okay? I mean, when, when that's all you've ever seen, you just accept it. <laughs> Yeah, and I was just like, we, we, I have since lost touch with this friend because there was a whole shit storm of stuff going on there. But <laughs> I'm just like, it's weird to me when I see gays defending that kind of stuff. I'm like, I get that you may have like Stockholm Syndrome and you're clinging to like the one gay thing in your life in terms of TV, but this is this is not good representation. No, I'm just, it's bad. It's just straight it's, up bad. It's just bad. <laughs> and I mean, with, with Jason, like, yeah, he lied to fans. He led them on. But I, I have respect for the youth coming up behind us because they, now there's a now there's a convention. There were billboards. 
he did not go on social media for like a year and a half or something. Like, yeah, he, yeah, he kind of went into went into hiding. <laughs> he did a self isolation well before Ms. Rona showed up. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, that oh, actually, that's another thing I wanted to ask. Um, has Corona like changed? fandom do you think like we're all kind of stuck inside do we all have more time to argue with each other <laughs> it's definitely brought live tweeting back yes um, it totally motherland which is one of my favorite shows this year like that brought live tweeting back in a big way and so that was a lot of fun to see i i think i live tweeted almost every single episode with that um but yeah it really brought it people were like tuning in on the night to watch that show. And so um, that was a lot of fun. So that's, that's changed uh, back. Um, I think that also we're seeing more online conventions and opportunities to connect that um, are super accessible, um, often free. And um, I'm not being hired for any of them, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, you don't even have to pay for my airfare. Like, geez. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, I think that that's going to, I hope to see more uh, of that. That would be really cool. Um, Because not everyone can afford to, to fly somewhere, get a hotel, go to a convention. And I, I, I think there's that conventions are super important. I think that they're really community building and like an amazing, like physical space to be with your community. But I think it's also like, we can, we can have it both ways. I don't, I don't think, think that it has to be one or the other. I mean, yeah, I mean, we were supposed to go to the Xena, the 25th anniversary convention that was in LA in August and we were like so stoked and we bought these tickets. We bought like, like the gold pass. Like the gold we bought that like a year and a half ago. We we're like, yes. And then obviously, you know, Corona hit and they rescheduled it for April. And, you know, we talked about it. We're like, A, we don't even know what things are going to be like in April. But I severely doubt that a packed convention is where I'm going to want to be even at that point in the States in Los Angeles where they've had like 7,000 cases in the last day. Yeah. And also like it was really freaking expensive and then we had to, we had to move so that, you know, not a lot of funds. So I was like, well, I can get this refund and that will help a little. And I was like thinking about all the extra costs about booking the hotel and getting there and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, Oh my God, I don't think we can do it. So but I I get to go home and see my family at some point. So I'm just like, okay. So yeah, I mean, those conventions are definitely, if you don't live where they're being held, it's pretty, it's it's pretty tough. And even if you do, they can be really expensive to buy tickets for. Cause I think with my refund, I got something like 1800 Canadian dollars back. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I I'm in a different position because I don't attend cons. I work yep. cons. Yeah. So my experience is probably a little different, but um I love like being a part of being a part of Klexicon for the last few years has been like a really amazing experience for me and I've met so many people from around the world. Um so to me that that's been a vital thing and I've seen I've seen how important it is to so many people to like have that connection with each other. So I I, I hope that we can that the con industry can rebound from, from, from this because um, like, man, I just, I love being, I love being able to be with, with those folks, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, we were really looking forward to just being in this like room full of other 
Xena nerds. Yeah. yeah. Standing, sure. let me tell you, standing on a stage in front of like a thousand queer people is a thrilling experience and <laughs> I miss it so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's just nice. Like we, we were part of the um, Vancouver Fan Expo as like a new podcaster thing they were doing. And it was, it was cool. And it was nice just to kind of like walk around and be like, oh, hey, there's a, there's a Captain Marvel or there's like a Catwoman or, oh, hey, Superman or, you know, just seeing the costumes and like knowing that you're not going to get made fun of for yeah. being in a costume and like, like I wore my Captain Marvel jacket and like I was just like people were like oh I got Captain Marvel oh my god it's awesome so it's just so cool and it's refreshing and it's comforting to know that like you have your people out there yeah it's nice to kind of all be in the same room I mean I'm like like 362 days a year I'm like this super normal person who nobody really like pays attention to or cares about and then like (laughs) three days I'm at a con and it's like it's it's like this endless stream of like people and talking to me and like they want to hug and like can we get a picture and it's like so cool and so like like unbelievable and um yeah i mean selfishly like that's like this like really like fascinating amazing part of that world for me and so um i i'll i will miss that um yeah. you know just uh be in my normal self in my <laughs> my office <laughs> <laughs> um so what what like, just is like a not not to put it on the spot but like what has been some of the best stuff you've seen come out of online fandoms like what is your favorite like that is the cutest that is the best like that's like mm. puppies pooping rainbows like this is the best <laughs> thing ever well so much art so much like amazing fan art um i have so much fan art up in my office um like there's so many people who i just like there's um uh critter of habit is one of my favorites uh foley does amazing work uh valentine smith um is is a friend and i have a number of her things up um i am not an artist in any way and so like art has always been super fascinating and and exciting to me and i just ah i love I love going to cons and being able to walk around and see the art that people have come up with. It's just so oh, yeah. great. Um, uh, so that's one of my super duper favorite things. Um, what I don't love about fandom. I figured like this could be like a fairly big conversation. <laughs> I hate ship wars. Um, Thank you. I am. So back in the day, I was like a super big Pretty Little Liars fan and that's how I really got my start in fandom and uh, and that's how I got my gig at After Schmelin and all that. So I wrote a song about a character from Pretty Little Liars. Well, I wrote a couple of different Pretty Little Liars songs, but I wrote one song about one character back like eight years ago, okay? And this character was a fairly polarizing character to some some people. And this character ended up not being endgame for another character. And the end game ended up being, you know, someone else. <laughs> Just being fake. <laughs> Just being super fake. Uh, but the fandom for the end game couple has um, zeroed in on me for years um, <laughs> over this song. I've gotten death threats um, oh recorded. Uh, I recently had a bunch of uh, these fans put me on an Instagram chat where they basically copied and pasted every single one of my Instagram photos and like made fun of me, like, like, like ripped me apart, Uh, like saying I was um, 
fat and like ugly and like my teeth were you know crooked i'm like no shit like i am <laughs> like some like one of the one of the quotes was like why are why are uh fat dykes always so fucking ugly um oh my god it just like i i was blown away like honestly I, they, they've said shitty things to me like over the years like they've they've they always like kind of try to like pretend that they like 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 my song and i always know as soon as they mention it nope <laughs> they're trying to fuck with me and um i have to admit like having 95 like messages saying like you're ugly and stupid and we hate you and we hope you kill yourself um from a bunch of people who um are mad at you because you wrote a song about a fictional character eight years ago is is really bizarre and um i can't i really can't wrap my head around it uh i know a lot of people get a lot of hate online and i i'm very lucky i i, I get way more love and embrace uh and, and get embraced uh, more often than not but that was really like like blew my mind that I was like suddenly in this like hate a thon uh, over a character and a song uh, from like almost a decade ago. That's wild. Sarah, uh, like, why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> Don't you have anything else that's better? Yeah, to, like, you know, better to do. And go have a piece of bread, baby. They'll calm down. <laughs> that's from somebody who's had a Xena Warrior Princess podcast for like three years. I'm like, just go find something else to do. Like, you have better yeah. things to do, I hope. Um, but yeah, Sarah got death threats over comments about Carmilla. Yeah. Oh. I wrote I wrote a Carmilla recap log on Tumblr. And uh, I, I didn't take it seriously. Like, I was just like, I just screen cap, commentary, screen cap, commentary, joke, 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 commentary, screen cap. It's, um, the, it's the old Schmafter Schmelin way of recapping. That's exactly what I did. I copied Rafter Melon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I was like, okay, I'll do it in that style because it worked back then. And like, I'm of an age, like this was how I would do And like, the older fans were like, oh, I get what you're doing here. This is hilarious. But younger fans, like the, the youth would be like, fuck you, I, uh, you don't, you don't like, what was the not Halstein, the other one? Paulus. Hope you kill yourself. You fuck you. I'm like, okay. Did your mom know you're on the internet? <laughs> oh, Someone... you, you you were you were a Holland uh, you were a Holland sympathizer. No, no, oh, no, God, no. no. I hated no. them when I called out Danny because oh. I didn't like Danny the character. I was like, no, this is like this is creepy. Like, there's a lot of manipulation going on here. And oh, yeah, I got death threats. Uh, someone called me transphobic because I said I didn't like LaFontaine the character, and I'm like, I'm non-binary. I, what? <laughs> I, I just, I'm allowed to like not like a character. I'm not like saying that Caitlin go die in a fire. I'm like this character is a bad person for this reason. But yeah, it was hilarious. I was we were like at a family dinner. I'm like I had like 15 messages. Die in a fire. Who kill yourself? Jump off a fucking bridge. I'm like, yeah. I, like, I, I mean, like, go up. ahead and be mad at. Listen, go ahead and be mad at me about something I wrote. Like, argue with me. But like the like, why do you want me to? die like why do yeah. you want like me my life to end because <laughs> i disagree with you about a character um yeah one time i pissed off the clan fandom from glee accidentally like it was totally an accident i wasn't like i wasn't trying to say anything bad i was actually trying to compliment the fandom but they took what i said and they misinterpreted what i was saying and i mean it was like a deluge of just <laughs> 
uh, why don't you like, you know, eat glass? Why don't you, you deserve to die, you stupid bitch. Like, it was just like, it was like the worst night of my life. It was so, it was just constant. And I was, I like called my editor crying because I was like, I don't know what to do. It's the first time anyone ever called me the C word on, on, uh, oh my God. And and my my boss at the time, Trish, she's like, remember this day. She's like, she's got like a very like you know laid back voice. Yeah. Remember this day. Mark this on your calendar. So the day you were called a c word on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Some sort of rite of passage yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. No, I took that. I, I I didn't take it personally. It was just very odd to be, have my phone keep lighting up with like kill yourself, kill yourself, kill yourself, and I was like, it's it's a show. Especially, listen, especially since, like, LGBTQ people have such a higher rate of suicide. It's not funny. It's No, it's, it's not. Fu- it's just fucking sick and sad and just and cruel. And there's, like, there's no excuse for it and there's no reason for it. Yeah. No, and I, yeah, it's, it's, I'm so sorry you had the Glee fandom after you. That sounds like an absolute <laughs> That was nightmare. many, many years ago. That was- <laughs> oh, I, just, I just hear that, I'm like, oh, God. It sounds traumatizing. <laughs> um, so you have a couple, like, rapid fire questions, if that's okay, cool. Sure. Um, you have, wait, what, you haven't asked me really anything about Zena. That's going to be the last thing. Okay, okay. We'll have, like, a, a roundtable Zena chat at okay. the end. Um, what, if any, are your favorite straight ships? Mm. Mm-mm-mm. What are straight people? Um, Apparently they exist. I have not met many. <laughs> I do have some. Hold on, I'm thinking. Um, you counted it after. It took us like an hour. We were like, I don't know. Oh, we have- I have like two. Two. Mine are Rosalind and Adama from Battlestar Galactica. The okay, then, yeah. Ben and Leslie from Parks and Rec, and that's about it. Oh my god, I know I have some. Like my brain is not even. <laughs> let me think. Let me think. What straight shows do I watch? Uh, shit. Hold on. <laughs> Honey, what straight shows do we watch? <laughs> like, do we have any straight couples that we really like on shows? <laughs> no, no, I know. <laughs> she goes, we have straight friends. <laughs> this is the this is better than I could have hoped. Do we have any straight ships that we really like? Like any couplings, like straight couples that we really like on on shows. <laughs> this has gone better than I thought it could have. This is amazing. I have to get back to you on that. <laughs> this alone is going to be my this for this alone is my favorite interview I've ever done. This is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Because no, we were literally like we were out for dinner, and I was like, "Do we have any straight chips?" And Chloe's like, "No, wait, oh, we lost." And I was like, literally an hour later, I was like, "I think." Wait, uh, wait, I'm remembering one. Okay. Um, I like, like middle seasons Mardare on uh, Grey's Anatomy. Oh, okay, yes, oh, okay, yeah, fair, that, yeah. Fair, fair. Fair. I, I like that. Um, like, but uh, yeah, that's the only one that's coming to mind right now. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> uh, so we'll move on from there. Okay. Uh, what is your current favorite book? Mm, 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 mm. Current favorite book. Um, well, I'm reading White Fragility right now. Oh, um, awesome. I have to admit, I kind of took a little bit of a break from books after writing a book. I just needed to like not 
think about it because I look, I read so much daily that's on the internet that it's not book books. Um, I did really like Sarah Waters' last book, The Paying Guest. Oh, I love that book. Um, Yeah. I I mean, Sarah Waters, I I adore Sarah Waters. So I'm like, uh, uh, anything she writes is like super interesting to me. But like, there's been some just um, really great books that have come out in the last couple of years, like Juliet Takes a Breath. Um, I'm a big romance reader. I like to support the romance community. Um, Yeah, just uh, right now, I kind of am focused on reading what I have to work, reading what I have to for work. <laughs> totally understandable. Totally fair. <laughs> um, what is, I mean, there's only a few queer events, but what is the coolest queer event that you've, you've been to? Probably the London Clexicon was just like such a fun, cool experience. I'd never been to London. Um, getting to like meet fans from Europe and Asia and um, just like it was, I had this really wonderful moment. There was um, this group of teenage girls and they were all like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Dana. Oh my God. Oh my God. Queen. Oh my God. Um, They like all kind of like gathered around me. They were all talking. They were all excited. And they were, and they were like, Oh my God, staying in this hotel is like five of us. And we got in trouble last night. And I was like, wait a minute. Like how old are you guys? They're like, Oh, we're 16. I'm 17. I'm 15. And I'm like, y'all were staying in a hotel room by yourselves. It's like, Oh, so excited to meet you queen. And so like, I, I was like telling all of them how proud I was of them and how they're the future of all of this. And they were just like so precious. Uh, oh, that was just oh, such so a cute. lovely experience. Um, and I went out, I went, I met a bunch of people because I didn't really know anybody in, 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 in London. And I went out with a bunch of fan, fan folks like that I met that day. Like, um, and we went and did karaoke and went to Nando's and just like, <laughs> Oh my God. Amazing. Just, like, had these like really wonderful, like amazing experiences. And, uh, it was more intimate. It was smaller. It was just so much fun. That's awesome. I was, I was like, oh, I want to go to that because it looks like it would be a little smaller and a little more like low key than mm-hmm. the one in in Vegas. Um, who was your favorite interview that you've you've managed to snag? <laughs> <laughs> These are very easy questions. Uh, so. You can give us like a top five if you have to. Uh, top five: Amber Benson, Kyler Lee. I've always loved talking with Allie Liebert. She's always a lot of fun. Um, uh, it's always it's like always a pleasure to talk to Natasha and Elise um, mm-hmm. because we're friends in real life and so like we have a good connection like in general and and they trust me and I trust them. They seem um, like really cool too. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh my gosh, um, Jessica uh, Jessica N- Nicole is somebody who I've always loved to talk to. Um, amazing actor and um, uh, seamstress. Like that's like she makes all her own clothes. Like the hell it's just so cool um so those are like just like people who are just like fascinating and really interesting to talk to um jeez i I mean i i very rarely have an interview where i'm like "Mm, that was that was tough (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know i mean most i'd say 99 percent of the time i have a really lovely experience with people that's great. That's awesome. It's yeah. nice to hear that people I, I think are cool are actually cool in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, yeah, so Xena, Xena Talk. Um, yeah. So did you watch it, like, as it was airing? Like, yes. you, I think you're roughly my age, so, yeah. We're not, we, don't, we don't talk about Dana's age. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so, like, I, you, you watched it as it was airing, so yes. was it, like, 
was it like a, I know in some parts of the States it was on like syndication on Thursdays for us. It was Saturday afternoons after Hercules. Yes. Um, I think I watched it on Saturdays. Okay. I um, so what, like, what is your favorite season? You know, what are your favorite characters? Uh, <laughs> my favorite question to ask people is would Gabrielle and Aphrodite date given the opportunity? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um. <laughs> but was there sexual tension? Yes. I think there was sexual tension amongst most of the characters. <laughs> I mean, like, okay, so my favorite character is Kalista. Oh, oh my god, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> my favorite episode is the bittersweet. No, <laughs> see, I love the bittersweet, and Sarah yeah, hates the bitter, like, hates the bittersweet. I love it though. We had to actually invite a friend of ours on the podcast to do the episode with us because I was like, Jamie, please come help me. I cannot do this alone. I need, I need backup. Chloe's gonna need <laughs> I, backup. Listen, I have a musical theater degree. Of course, oh, okay. I'm gonna well, like the theater like suite. <laughs> See, and I, I love musicals, and well, I, I, like reasonably, I, I like musicals. I don't know every musical ever, but no. Sarah does not like musicals. No, I like aside Chicago. From Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I love that episode, but I also love the episode where Xena uh, inhabits the body of Joxer to um, oh, yeah. to to tell uh, Gabrielle that she loves her and will always be with her. Oh, you mean um, like the oh, fantasy sequence? Oh, sorry. Yes, a top. Yes, yes, Atalicus. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. The quest. The qu- the oh, yeah, quest. the quest. The quest. Yeah, the yes. quest is amazing. That is, I think, one of the best episodes of the entire series. Um, but yeah, uh, my favorite. Yeah, I think Kalista. Like, just what a bang up job she did in that role. Just fantastic. Yeah. She's truly unhinged, like at every moment, and it's so satisfying to watch. Am I wrong? Did the actress pass away? Nope. Uh, no, the guy who played Ares uh, passed away. He okay. had an accident on a set, and I think he yeah he broke his neck. Um, mm. uh, no, um, Hudson Lake is now a yoga teacher in ah! Europe. Yeah. Um, Alexandra Tidings, Aphrodite, she is also doing some sort of yoga thing. Um, it seems to be a, a trend of... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they're very flexible on that yeah, show. Yeah, I mean, so... they did a lot of their own stunts. Um, yeah. Claire Bansfield, who plays Alti, is occasionally over on one of the small islands off the coast of BC. I was like, I would probably shit my pants if I was walking <laughs> in a small island and saw Alti coming towards yeah, me. Yeah, just like hiking. Yeah. Oh, there's Alti. <laughs> I also, after I recover, I'd be like, can you please do the voice? Please do the voice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, who are your favorite Xena villains? Like, Kalisto, obviously, is probably one of the best ones. I love Alti as a villain because, again, it's that unhinged kind of wild card situation. Mm. I mean, I always thought that Ares was a good, was a good foil for a yeah. lot of uh, I mean it was a shit stirrer. Um yeah. but yeah I mean it's like it's it's kind of like I feel the w- same way about Kalista as I feel about Glory in Buffy. I feel mm-hmm. like I've always thought that Glory was the best villain of the Buffy villains. Oh, without a doubt, yeah. And so like to me like Kalista she's she's got that same like energy to me. And they were they actually were about around the same time. Maybe a, like just a couple yeah. years, just a handful of years apart. Yeah, maybe like two at most. Because mm-hmm. um, I got into Buffy, like really into Buffy at the end of season four. Uh, and I was like still super into Xena, but that was like just coming to the end, I think. Might be so, like yeah, 1999. Was, yeah, around there. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was just, it was interesting to have, you know, Xena and Buffy on at the same time and have similar kind of like superpowers and women kicking ass mm-hmm. but at the same time i'm like yeah they're very white shows yes they were very white shows <laughs> very white um, shows yeah i mean 
many of the villains of the day on Xena are the uh, indigenous guys. <laughs> yeah, it's like the villain of the day is like, oh, that's that same extra from the episodes ago where <laughs> he was, yeah, okay. Yes. Um, yeah, but I mean, like, Ares as a villain is great, and Callisto as a, as a villain is great. And um, this is a debate we have, I think, with pretty much every guest. Um, is Ares Xena's father? No. God, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> See, because I think he is, because there was an episode where uh, Gina's mom says that her dad came back from battle magically in the middle of the night, but he was like, he was dead. So there's too like... much, there's too much flirting between them. I <laughs> would feel incest, very like, uncomfortable about that development. God thing. Incest like, is a super big, like, God thing. I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I like to believe that he's not her father, because if so, Ew, it's yes. really... Really, no, I don't have time for that. <laughs> I'm just like it, it's, it checks out with all the, the pantheon of gods. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite things about Xena is how um, we use the phrase "they go full Xena," like when she jumps off the cliff onto the boat. Like um, I'm doing that, I'm doing that, like the um, the yeah. the flipping, yeah, for like five minutes, yeah. the somersault, yeah. like the, the, the quadruple somersault. Yeah, um, that, that I think. Their, their willingness to embrace the wacky is something that gave them a yes. lot of, uh, it gave the show a lot of heart. Um, and one thing I think we've noticed with us like watching TV now as a pop culture nerds, we don't really see that level of wacky. Yeah, camp and wackiness uh, are not uh, embraced uh, the way they that they once were. Um, I don't no. know, maybe we just matured as audiences in, in some ways and um not all audiences can see the like merit in that i don't know the one show that we really feel um is in sort of the same spirit as xena is legends of tomorrow yes and vagrant queen they both have uh, this level of camp to them that is really endearing yeah. Do you think the camp is something that, um, like you said, we, we maybe we've matured out of this and we've grown out of it, or because camp is so ingrained in gay history, um, that's something we should maybe try to bring back because it is it did play such a role in in our community. Oh yeah, I mean, I think camp is super important. I think we, I think camp is 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 really good because it allows us to not take ourselves so seriously, and yeah. it it. it I think camp allowed queer people to see some goodness in our in like the stories that we embraced. It, it yeah. allowed some levity it, yeah. where we had seen so much tragedy. Camp gives us that levity. Like, um, like, but I'm a cheerleader. It's like the ultimate, like delicious camp movie yeah. um, that just took all those negative tropes and camped them up. So then they became positive. Yeah, I often say that if I were to ask people to watch one movie that sort of encaps encapsulates my sense of humor, it would be But I'm a Cheerleader. <laughs> yeah. And one thing about camp, too, is that in some ways, like, I'm thinking like Liberace, Elton John kind of levels of camp, like back in the day, it made queerness palatable for straight people. Oh, like my absolutely. grandmother, <laughs> uh -huh. my grandmother was not a good person, and she's like, "Oh, that Elton John, he's so he's just so fabulous." Oh I'm yeah, like, yeah, like, little like, Richard, Elton John, yeah. like they were able to take their queerness and and like and ratchet it up to a level that was like, yeah. "Oh, is this this is art, right? This is art. Yeah. I can appreciate this." 
Yeah, I actually wrote an entire paper in my last year of university on how <laughs> uh, Hedvig and the Angry Inch and camp and acceptability, <laughs> and I got an A. Yay. Congratulations. You guys are such academics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, we're nerds, so, you know, I didn't have a lot of friends as a kid, so I would just read a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I think that's something about Xena too. And I think the camp is what kind of kept it off a lot of people's radar because they were like, oh, it's that goofy warrior show. Mm. And like they would turn it on and be like, the, you know, she'd turn her head and be like, whoosh, and then the flipping and all the stuff. But like on some level, like when I kind of realized I was queer and, you know, getting into like studying a bit of history, I was seeing that like, oh, this is this is a true form of, of queer media because it has the, the romance, it has the camp, it has this, but it's also like pretty feminist and pretty cool. So um, yeah, I think it's like it's it's I think I still say it's an important show that should be not like elevated on a platform because it has its problems, but it should still be like revered as something that's good in the canon of queer media. I totally mm-hmm. agree. I totally agree. And like I said before, watch Queering the Script. There's a whole big Xena thing in it where they go the camp, yes, they go to the Xenite camp and everything. <laughs> amazing. amazing. Um, so um, we probably should let you go because it's been like an hour and a half. I just realized the time. I'm so sorry. No, no, I've had a great time talking to you too. Yeah, you're, you're really fun. you're terrific podcast hosts. Oh, oh thank you thank very you. much. <laughs> um, we'll leave it on one more question uh, for every Xena fan. I love to hear their answer. What to you is the actual final episode, the last one of the series, or? Uh, oh God. Um... Many the, happy returns. Many happy returns. Yes. So the one where they fly off into the sunset after Xena gives her this, the poem from Sappho, or the one at the very end. No, where... not the not the one where Xena gets beheaded. No. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to okay. see me ugly cry. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a very difficult episode to get to when we yeah. get in like probably like five years, given how fast we're working our way through it now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of that's like job security, folks. That's job security. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. No, I think with like with Zena, like I don't think they had to do the beheading. I think they could have just left it at that, and that would have been like they're they're literally flying off into the sunset. They're having their happy ending, and like you said this in one of another episode we did, like Gentleman Jack had the big sweeping romance and like the panning shot of them kissing on the hill, and you know we don't get that a lot. Mm-hmm. So for Zena to actually have them literally fly into the sunset after reading a poem by Sappho, I love that's a sentence I can say. It's the gayest shit ever. Yeah. Like, there's never been anything more lesbianic than no. that scene in the no. history of the universe. They could have added Melissa like... Etheridge to the soundtrack and that would not have made it any gayer. <laughs> like, it could, they could have been playing Come to My Window and I'm like, nope, that's you, it's, no, you can't make that any no. worse. Um, but yeah, so, but I, I, people have argued that like, we're, we ignore the last episode because it's sad, but like, is it also part of the trope? Like, but I mean, they built it up, built it up, built it up and they had the relationship and they had the love. So I don't personally see it as like, part of the trope trope like the barrier gaze I think it was just like we have to end the show and we have to end it definitively so Zena's dead yeah I don't think I don't I don't I don't personally like think that they meant it to be a barrier gaze sort of situation mm-hmm. um I think that they knew that the only way well no I'm going to take that back I was going to say something and I'm like no Dana don't do it um <laughs> They didn't have to kill Xena. They probably didn't have to kill Xena. They probably could have let her and Gabrielle just walk off into the sunset and um, together. But they chose what they chose. And I'm not, you know, Rob. And I didn't, you know, I was just a wee one back when this was happening. So uh, I, uh, 
Yeah, I don't really know what to say. Like, uh, I, I have to say, like, it's, it seems so far away to me now, mm-hmm. um, those moments. Yeah. Yeah, I, I understand um, why they did it in the sense that it was, like, the ultimate final chapter in Xena's redemption arc, because essentially the show is a redemption story and a hero story and a, a love story, and those are, like, the main tenets, but... I don't know. I just I feel like Xena did enough redeeming of herself over well, the, it would be like if Buffy died in the last episode of the finale. Like it, it just I I feel like Buffy had earned her rest. You know? Yeah, yeah, with season 5 Buffy, I was like, damn, she saved the world so many fucking times. She's she can just she can, she's done. Mm-hmm. And then they brought her back. And I was like, oh, okay. And then we had season six, which we don't talk about. <laughs> like, if they would have killed her in that finale, I think I would have felt so unsatisfied. I, I wanted to see Buffy, like, get a chance to live her life. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah. And I think, honestly, with with, with the Xena thing, like, I, I don't, I pretend, like, the last two don't happen. Like, that didn't happen. That just ended when they flooded in the sunset, whatever. But with, like, with the finale, I'm like, they could have just had them go, like, start an Airbnb and, like, get them <laughs> <laughs> Zia invented everything else. Uh, like, New Zealand Tourism Kirby. Bureau. Just <laughs> <laughs> some sheep, it's fine. <laughs> uh, well, thank you very much for taking like an hour and a half out of your day to talk to a couple of weird nerds from Canada. Oh, I had a great time. Thank you so much. <laughs> It'd be super, super appreciated. Um, can I make a post about uh, interviewing you and throw it on Twitter? And... Oh, yeah, of course. Okay, cool. Um, so we're going to edit this probably in the next few days and have it up online next week. All right, cool. um, We'll let you know when it goes live so you can promote it if you want to or, or don't. Cause, of, course, know. <laughs> of course. Um, is there anything you want to promote outside of Queer Media Matters or anything you want to you say to our listeners? Um, um, yeah, let's see. Um, you guys are awesome. Um, <laughs> and I think that uh, it's it's going to be a hard year. It's, it's a hard year. A lot of flux, a lot of crazy stuff is happening, but um, we're going to get through it. We're going to figure it out. Um, I want people to feel like they can talk to me and that they can, um, you know, I'm the fairy gay mother for a reason. And I want people (laughs) to feel like they can connect with that. And so, you know, talk to me, ask me questions. Like I'm very big into mentoring. Um, I do (laughs) a funny story. I had to uh, trademark uh, fairy gay mother for a reason. I saw Uh, you mention that. Yeah, uh, I did it for a very specific reason, which I won't go into here, but I did it for a specific reason because um, I felt that the name was being used by s- people in situations that um, are not particularly uh, welcoming and inclusive. And mm-hmm. um, I didn't like that this name that people had given me that meant a lot and had a lot of like goodwill behind it being used in a way that um, felt exclusionary so I trademarked it <laughs> I love it that is amazing. Um, but in order to trademark it I have to prove that I'm using it in commerce um, so <laughs> is this the lip gloss uh, no 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 this is not the lip gloss I actually have okay. um, a shop that I'm that like if people can buy fairy gay mother merch like shirts i have a design uh, valentine did of me um with fairy gay mother um i have uh like a logo so it's like um hold on it's um 
where's my phone? I think I left upstairs. Um, spread shirt, maybe. Hold on. Fairy. Yeah, if you want to send us a link to it, we'll I will, we'll put it in the show notes so people can can buy mm-hmm. fair yeah. game other to wear on their own bodies because that would be awesome. Just give me a second <laughs> so I can find it because I don't sound like a dork. Okay, so it's spreadshirt.com slash fairy dash gay mother. Um, and so you can, um, let's see what I have. I have logo shirts. I've got bandanas. I've got travel mugs. Let's go. Um, and <laughs> all the money that I'm going to, if I make any money, which I, I didn't really do it to make money. Like that wasn't really the point. It was like to show the government that I was using it as a commerce. Um, but any money I make from that site goes to paying um, writers like freelancers and contributors to um, Queer Media Matters. Uh, and then 20% of like the profits are going to go to um, LGBT nonprofits as well. That's right. fantastic. Yeah. So if, I, if you buy a shirt, like it goes to help me pay an, like a writer and it also goes to charity, part of it's charity. It's not like just like going to my coffers, you know? 